0: It was 25 years ago, the last time that I said the N word. Pastors don't like talking about elephant in the room issues because it might hurt somebody's feelings. But talking about race hurts my feelings because I have to come face to face with my own past and my own brokenness, and my own sinfulness. I was raised in the deep south. I've lived all my life here. My high school that I attended, small high school, was 95% white. And people often made snide remarks, snarky comments, and told jokes about people of color. And no one dared correct anybody where I came from until that day in 1995. I was at college my freshman year, my first semester of college, with some newfound friends and I said the word. And one of my new friends looked at me and he said something that changed my life, he said something that I'll never forget. He said, Carter, I wouldn't expect that from someone like you. You see, my friend wasn't exactly a church-goer, but he knew I was, and I knew exactly what he meant. He meant someone who calls themselves a Christian, someone who says they follow Jesus, someone who says they believe the Bible. The truth is, i knew what the bible said it's on page one right if you make it to page one i knew what the bible said in genesis 127 so god created mankind in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them i knew that the bible said that all people were made in god's image but i had let my culture shaped my attitudes instead of God's Word. But I want to tell you something, it was not my culture's fault, and it was not my upbringing's fault, and it was not my hometown's fault. It was my fault, because I had not taken the Word of God seriously in my life. And that day began a process of God and His Holy Spirit transforming my heart and my attitudes about black and brown people. And like all of us, I'm still a work in progress. I began thinking about this series and we began planning it in January, Elephant in the Room, and now we need it more than ever. Because the whole world is talking about these issues, right? And I want you to know something. If you're in this room and you're a part of our Mountaintop Church family or you're watching at home and we've mentioned at home that we've got this whole group of of young men and and some women uh, that are part of the football program and, and friends that have come. I want to tell you something. These young men, they care about this issue because the next generation wants to know if the church is going to show up where it matters most. Because so often, over the years, the church has been silent on the issues that the world is clamoring for truth on. Because we're afraid it's gonna offend somebody. Or we're afraid we're not sure, and it makes no sense because God's word has clearly spoken. And that's why we have to see what God is going to say. We have to see what Uh, What God says about it, this is why that as followers of Christ, we can't say, I don't want to talk about it. If I want to be a disciple of Jesus, if I want to be a disciple of Jesus, then there's nothing off limits in my life for this book and the Holy Spirit to correct, to guide, and to transform not my relationships, not my habits, not my thoughts, not my temptations, not my politics, not my anger issues, not my family issues, not my gossip issues, and not race. So we're gonna look at a passage that the Apostle John wrote that I think speaks into this so clearly and so powerfully. But before we do, I wanna help frame perhaps, what I think is the tension that we have on this issue inward. And here's how I, can help, I want to help you talk about it. Race is a snowball. I know you're like, it's August in Alabama. There ain't no snowballs, right? It's just hot. But here, let me help you think about it. Race is a snowball. And for some of you watching, for some of you in this room, here's what you're thinking about this, this snowball. It's, it's delicate, right, it's a delicate issue. And some of you are thinking, Carter, you, you have no idea how far I've come on this issue. In fact, some of you have a story that's much like mine. And you have a time when you thought different things, when you said different things, when you laughed at different jokes, and you're like, Carter, I've come a long way. And for some of you, you're you're saying that, hey, I was here in the 60s, and it's way better than now. I was here in the 70s, and it's way better now. And you're exhausted from talking about this issue because you feel like we've come so far, and you're also worried because snowballs have a way of doing something, they have a tendency to snowball. And you're worried that this snowball is going to snowball into an even bigger snowball. And the problem is for you, you're just sitting there saying like, listen, we're talking about this issue, but this is we don't need to be getting into social issues. We don't need to be getting into political issues because there are all kinds of, uh, there are all kind of different kind of movements and adjacent agendas. And if this snowball that we say we want to talk about in church snowballs into something bigger that's political, it could be really dangerous because where this issue of race seems to sit politically is it even has danger to snowball into something way bigger that you really don't want it to become. Because you're not worried it's just gonna get political, you're worried that the politics around this conversation of race are gonna take this to a bigger snowball that's gonna eventually lead to a very left-leaning agenda. In fact, there are some of you, I really believe this, that you're worried. If Carter's talking about race today, it's only a matter of time before he's quoting Karl Marx on the stage. And we've got small groups who are studying socialist authors. Because for you, this issue feels social. It feels political. And you don't want us to lose our our focus on the message of Jesus. Jesus. And you are, so you approach like, some of you like came to church today or you tuned in and you're like, you took a big breath. Because you're worried about where this conversation might go. You're worried about what it might come to. You don't want us to lose our focus. There are others of you that you view this snowball differently. It is a snowball to you, but for you, You're exhausted because we're not talking about it. You're exhausted because the church hasn't talked about it. And you're so grateful that right now the world is talking about it. And you are so grateful that right now the church is talking about it. And I'm not the only one that church leaders all across the nation are talking about this issue of race. And you understand that this issue true racial equality, true racial healing in relationships, in churches, in communities. You understand that that the reason that everyone's talking about it now is it is part of a much larger avalanche of energy and emotion. And there's all kinds of stuff that were a part of that. There were two high profile deaths that caused this energy to start happening. There were, uh, it's an election year, that has an energy all its own. There There were peaceful protests, but there were also rioting and looters. There were monuments that were taken down by government, and then there were monuments that were torn down by rioters. There were conversations about, there are conversations now about state flags, and there are conversations about sports teams' nicknames that have never come up before. There's organizations like Black Lives Matter that are a part of the whole political process of it. There, is mess- there are messages painted on streets. There are athletes speaking out on social media and all over the news. And you understand that this, that this whole thing this conversation about race, the reason that the whole world is even having it now is because of the avalanche of energy and momentum that has happened this summer. And here's the interesting thing about this. If that's you, you don't even agree with everything in the avalanche. Like you tweeted or you put out on social media hashtag black lives matter but you don't agree with everything the Black Lives Matter organization stands for. In fact, you didn't even know there was an organization. You, 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 you don't agree with the rioters. You don't agree with the monuments being torn down. But in your mind, you're thinking, listen, it's all part of the energy and the momentum and all that's happening of this avalanche, and you just want it to get to where you want it to go because you just want it to land in this bucket, and this bucket is justice, change, equality. And so you'll take some of the sideways energy of some things you don't agree with as long as the avalanche lands in the bucket that this world has needed for a long time, because here's your fear. Your fear isn't that this snowball will grow into something bigger, your fear is that if it's on its own, it'll just melt. And it'll disappear. And it won't be change, it'll just be a hashtag. Don't you think that the conversation? about race is more nuanced than either of those sides. And I wanna ask you, would you trust this conversation and this issue in your heart, not to politics, not to social issues, would you trust it to Jesus? Would you trust this conversation to the cross? Because you see, I think that this conversation of race belongs right smack dab in the middle of the cross. I think this conversation is actually a conversation that Jesus started on the cross. So would you trust that him, would you just put away the sides to have this conversation in the heart of the cross? Because some, some of you might say, some of you are asking, Okay, Carter, so we're talking about race, but what about the gospel? Isn't that what we're about? And I would say to that, I'm so glad you're asked, because that's where all of this begins. The Apostle John spent three years with Jesus, and he was not just one of the 12 disciples, he was in what was really called an inner circle. He was part of Jesus' executive team of three really lead disciples. And he wrote four books in the New Testament, ones we call the Gospel of John, and and the other three are letters we call 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And John wrote extensively about love. In fact, it was John who wrote one of the most famous verses in the whole Bible. Some of you memorized it as a kid. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It was John that coined the term, God is love. And we're going to look at a section in 1 John 4, verses 19 through 21. So if you have a Bible at home, or you're getting on the app here, or whatever it is, if you want to turn to that, where John talks about what this love looks like in action in our daily lives. But before he does that, Throughout the book of 1 John, throughout the beginning of it, he details what love looks like. In fact, there are three examples where he says, "Um, this is love. This is what he says. 1 John 3.16, he says, this is how we know what love is. Aren't you glad? He's telling you. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. What does love look like? It looks like laying down your life for people. Later on, he says, This is how God showed his love among us. Aren't you glad you know? He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Love is giving, it is sending, it is unselfish. That's how we know what love is. One more time, he said, This is love. Aren't you grateful he just spelled it out? Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love is sacrificial. Love, John says basically, looks like Jesus. Love looks like Jesus. See, this is what we believe. This is the gospel. And if you are new to church, or you're new to faith, or perhaps it's been a long time, And you wonder, what in the world does this word gospel mean? In the original language, it just meant good news. And this is the good news. Jesus is the good news. This is what we believe. When you hear Christians say the gospel, this is what we believe. That God sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us, to forgive our sins, even though we didn't deserve it. To be a sacrifice for us so that we might have his mercy and grace and love. We believe that he rose three days later to defeat sin and death and to give us eternal life in us, for us, and for all eternity so that we might spend heaven, eternity in heaven with him. He saved us from hell for heaven to spend eternity with him. That's the gospel, that's it. And if you're new to church and you're new to faith and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, More than anything else, I want you to know that that's what we would hope you would believe. Because we believe, just like Layla did this morning, that making that declaration of faith in your life is the most important decision that you could ever make. It will change not only your life, but it will change your eternity. Our mission, our vision, our heart as a church is to get everyone that we know to understand that God isn't a God that just has rules and regulations, that this is a God who sent good news. And I tell you that because it is that belief that is the starting point for any conversation a Christian has about race. In fact, what we're gonna see John talk about today If you're not a follower of Jesus and you haven't made a a decision, like you haven't understood that kind of love, then you're going to have a hard time understanding the framework from which we understand this conversation. Because we start right in the middle of the cross. Because love looks like Jesus. And then John says this. We love because he first loved us. We love other people who don't look like us. We love people who didn't have the same background as us. We love people who are different ethnicities as us, not because we ought to, not because it's in the Constitution, not because we think it's the right social thing to do. We love, our motivation for love is because we have seen what love looks like. It is a sacrificial, life-giving, atoning, lay down your life kind of love. That's why we love. In fact, I'm not sure you can actually understand how to love if you don't understand that kind of love. This is why the church ought to be the hope of the world and the shining light on America in the issue of race. Christians ought to be better at this than anybody, right? We ought to be better than this than anybody as the world struggles with race and prejudice and tension and they can't figure out how to make equality. It ought to be that the world looks at the church and says, man, nobody loves people different than them like the church. Let's find out their secret. And wouldn't it be cool if we could say, oh, it's easy. We love because he first loved us. Is that what the world thinks about the church? Or does the church seem to see the same divisiveness that it sees in itself? No Christian should ever be racist because we have yielded our lives to a savior who died for all people so we love all people. I mean, what would it look like? What would it look like for the world to see in Christ followers a life laying down kind of sacrificial love for all people? Ending racism? Starts in here. And it starts with the work of salvation through Jesus in our hearts and continues through the work of transformation through the Holy Spirit on our hearts. And one of the problems with this issue in the American church is too many Christians want salvation without transformation. Too many Christians want salvation. They wanna go to heaven without transformation. But Jesus didn't only come to earth to get you into heaven. Jesus came to get heaven into you and on earth so that his prayer would be answered. Thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And for that to happen, the people of God's hearts are going to have to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Imagine a world. Imagine a world where every Christian, wherever they have influence, the family they lead, the classroom they're in charge of, the department that they oversee, the business that they own, the community organization that they're part of. Imagine a world where every Christian, where every sector of the world, what they love, where they love people, where they love others, especially those different than us, because he loved us. Well, then John says something that's really difficult and hard to hear. Listen to what he says. Whoever claims to love God, so if you say you're a Christian, you say you're a God-fearing person. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. If you have in your heart, John says, a feeling of animosity toward a people group uh, toward a toward an ethnicity toward a certain group, but you say you love God, John says, you're lying. So can we just say this plainly? Racism is sin. Racism is sin. John says if you have a they in your heart, a those people, a that group in your heart, if you have a they in your heart, then, and you say you love God, you are lying about your love for God. You don't really love God, John says. And it's sin And church, in the church, we confront sin lovingly but firmly because we know that sin creates separation and a barrier. Jesus died on the cross so that this sin would be wiped away. And we want to invite anyone that has anything in their heart that's separating them from God to come put it on the cross and nail it to the cross. And racism might need to be the thing, and that kind of other people, those people thing might need to be the thing we nail to the cross. Because you will never, ever be who God wanted you to be as long as there is some kind of sin in your heart. Even if you think the sin is just an attitude that doesn't hurt anybody it's hurting you. Now, most of us read this and go, Whew, I am off the hook. I don't hate anybody, right? You don't have to raise your hand because you were all thinking that, right? <laughs> I don't hate anybody. I'm, I'm okay. And if John had just left it at that. But then he says, for whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen cannot love God, whom they have not seen. Whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they can see with their own two eyes. How in the world? They can't love God. They've never even seen me, God would say. It's as if John is saying, you've never seen God, but all you see every single day is image bearers of the most high God. It's almost as if God is saying how could you love me if you don't love these people made in my image? That's the way that you love me. This is why people of faith don't say that we're colorblind. We're not colorblind. We see people and we see differences and we love those differences. We see your skin tone and we love it. Black, brown, peach, white, every shade in between. We celebrate our differences because in every difference, we see a different form of the image of God. So let me ask you some questions. When you see a young African-American man with long dreadlocks and braids, do you love him? Do you love what you see? Or do you write a narrative in your mind about him? When you see a white guy in a big truck listening to country music, do you love him? Do you love what you see? Or do you kind of make up your own story in your mind about who he is? When you hear someone who is Asian or Hispanic, and they weren't born in this country, and they they don't speak with quite perfect English. Do you love them? Do you love listening to the accent of the mother tongue that Almighty God gave them? Here's what I've come to realize when I read this passage. If all people are made in God's image, but I only love people who look like me, then I don't love God, I love me. If Genesis 127 is is true, if it's really true that God created all people in God's image, and if I only love people who look like me, then it's not God that I really love, I really just love me. And I want you to know that if you don't like diversity, you're really not going to like heaven. And if you are uncomfortable with different skin tones, you are going to be uncomfortable on the streets of gold. And if you are uncomfortable hearing different languages, then you are going to be very uncomfortable when you hear the praises of the nations in their mother language, praising almighty God and joining with angels in languages that you and I have never heard as they join together with big band music and hip hop music and country music and southern rock, praise God, and classic rock and R&B and jazz and classical and Latino music to praise, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, day and night. Day and night. The only one I'm not sure about is polka music. I I just don't know. If all people are made in God's image... But I don't love people who look like me. I don't love God. I love me. And if you only love people that look like you, you don't love God. You love you. And then he, he finishes it out. He says this. And he has given us this command. Because actually when Jesus was with his disciples, one of the last times, when they were having what we call the Last Supper, That's what he said. A new command I have for you, love one another. And John reiterates it, because John was there. John said, he's given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You must, (laughs) you have to. See, simple as this, to love God, it's to love people, and to love people is to love God. Did you notice there was a phrase that he talked about a lot? Let's see if any of you guys noticed. How did he refer to people? How did John refer to people as what? Somebody shout it out. Brothers and sisters. He said it three times. You know why he uses that language? Because we all come from the same father. I want to bring my boys up here for just a moment. Guys, come on up. Because I want to tell you something about fathers. Come over here, guys. Can you squat so I look taller than you? (laughs) These are my boys, Morgan and Tanner and Walker and Brooks. You know, show the Spain Park guys your Vestavia shirt there. It's okay. We're one in Christ just for today. Let me tell you something about fathers. If you don't love my boys, you don't get to have a relationship with me. That's the way it is with fathers. And you can't say, well, I love these two over here, but I just don't like these two over there. <laughs> because you, you can't separate my children from me. You see, a prerequisite for you having a relationship with me as their father is that you also have to love my children. You have to be in relationship with them if you want to spend time with me, because that's the way it is with fathers. Father's. see if we're gonna love God we have to love his people if we're gonna love the father we have to love his children who are our brothers and sisters and sometimes these boys will tell you this sometimes when they do something wrong to each other does that ever (laughs) happen they'll say something to one another they brothers fight any of you guys got brothers brothers fight get on each other's nerves. They'll say something, do something. And you know what I'll look at one of them and say? Nobody does that to one of my sons. You see, just because you're my son doesn't mean you get to say that to another one of my sons. Nobody treats one of my sons that way. So if you wanna have a relationship with the father, if I wanna have a relationship with the father, what would it mean for the way that we love his children? He commanded us to he loved us first first what does that look like for you maybe that means taking somebody out to lunch or sitting down for coffee or giving somebody a call or having a zoom or texting somebody and just say I want to talk somebody that's different from you if you're a white person asking an african-american if you're african-american asking a white person just say can you I just want you to know I see you I want to learn I want to know what I don't know I want you to tell me about your experiences growing up black, your experiences growing up white. What were you told about people of other races? How have you changed? What are you still learning? What are the questions you still have? And if you don't have an African-American friend and you're white, or you don't have a white friend if you're African-American, maybe it's high time you found one. Because it's hard to get to know how to love people if you don't know them. And maybe you realize this is bigger than just black and white. And maybe you've never sat down with a Hispanic person or an Asian person. And you need, it's finally time to sit down with somebody and say, help help me understand what it's like being in this country. And maybe you're not from this country. Your parents weren't from this country. Your grandparents weren't from this country. How can I love you better? How can I get to know you better? You see, because John says, when you look at those people, when you see them, You are not seeing someone who is black or white or Asian or Latino or Indian or Middle Eastern or Native American. You and I are looking eyeball to eyeball with a brother and a sister who come from the same father. And to love that father, we have to love his people. And loving that people loves their father because I want to tell you something if you don't love my boys you don't get to be friends with their dad and man I want to be friends with my dad what would it look like if every Christian on planet earth or what if we just decided every Christian watching online or in this room every person who says they follow Jesus Decided when we leave this time today that because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, because He laid His life down for me, that I am going to lay my life down for people who don't look like me. What do you think that that would do for our witness? as messengers of the gospel. I think the world would say, can you tell us what you guys know that we don't know? And we would say, can we tell you what love is? It's the only reason we can love like this. I suspect that we have all got a little work to do in this area. And I would ask you to just pray this prayer, to just pray. Would you just say, Father in heaven, would you, the God who I cannot see, work in my heart on behalf of all the people every day that I can see? You guys pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord we confess Our sin before you that we get this wrong we confess that we we jump to conclusions we confess Lord that we we lean into stereotypes we confess that we have not spoken up when someone said something that was a little wrong or we see something happen that's a little wrong and we have been silent but God we will not be silent because the grave has spoken and you have declared a love that has changed the world. That for those of us that follow Jesus, the only thing we could do is to live our lives in gratitude, to love all people, including those, especially those who don't look like us. Lord, would you transform our hearts for the people that we see and as we learn to love them Lord would you receive our love for you through them it's in the mighty name of Jesus who showed us what love is